appreciate the opportunity to come back home. Should I say that? I've been a member of this congregation years back. Congregation here supported my work in Pennsylvania for I don't know how many years. Many years. We've had a wonderful relationship. I saw a man named Milford Morris here outside and I shook his hand and I said, you remind me of somebody I know. <laughs> and I, I surely know Milford Morris and his offspring. My assignment is biblical leadership. It's rather a vast subject, very broad. I think I understood that probably what I'm doing is just presenting an overview because we have specific areas that are going to be discussed throughout the week. Leadership is very important. We have leaders. How many of you want to be president? (laughs) Oh, good. Good. Now the big question, why? (laughs) We do have in the government a lot of leaders. One of the I tell a lot of these little anecdotal things at home at Warrensburg, where I'm a member. One of the Things in my mind that I look back upon with not fond memory, but I remember a man named Wilbur Mills. Anybody ever heard of him? He was caught. I think he might have been intoxicated at the tidal pool outside the nation's capitol building with a striptease dancer, as I remember. And somebody in the congregation even gave me her name, and I don't remember that. But it was such a shock to me because I had always respected those who were leaders. And we looked up to our congressmen and our senators and our president and those around them with great respect and awe. This man was chairman of the Ways and Means Committee. Happened to come from Arkansas, as I remember I don't know if that's got anything to do with anything. <laughs> but anyway, that made an impression, not a favorable impression, but a very marked impression on my young mind. I don't know what year that was. Much younger than I am now, I know. Once I was young, now I'm old. <laughs> the Bible says... <clears throat> You ever read the Bible? In Proverbs, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I really believe that. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. The question was asked in my letter from the congregation uh, what is biblical leadership? Well, very simply and very obviously, it is leadership that is in harmony with what the Bible says. The Bible does have something to say about leadership. I found references to leadership in the home. I'm not supposed to get into that. (laughs) Leadership in the home. When did that start? Genesis 3.16. Well, the wife is told she will be ruled by her husband. Starts way back there a long time ago. We've already had discussion, introduction at least, to the fact that the, the home is the foundation of the church and of the nation. How important the home is and how important the leadership within the home is. If you have godly parents, you've been extremely blessed. I remember the time, and I'm going to be telling a lot of personal things here, but I remember the time when I came to the realization that if the policeman had said, do not cross, and mother had said, 
cross, I would have crossed. Because from my earliest recollection, I revered my mother almost like I revered God. Of course, I didn't know much about God, but I knew about mother. She loved me. She provided for me. She cared for me. She dressed me. She fed me. And she reared me. And thankfully, she revered me to respect the Bible as the Word of God. She lived a very moral life. She made sure that we went to Sunday school. That we did our lessons and so on and so forth. She did the things that a good parent would do. And she taught us morality. She spoke openly about the use of alcohol. And when I was a kid, divorce was a taboo. When somebody was a divorced person, they didn't have the standing or the respect that a person who was married and stayed in their marriage had. That person's divorced. Boy, how things have changed. (laughs) How things have changed. We've already had reference to Ephesians 6, verse 4, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I'm not going to belabor that area. Only a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. And I relate to that. My mother was not a New Testament Christian. She believed in God. She believed in the Bible. She believed education in spiritual things was important, so she sent us to Sunday school. And she expected us to be honest, to work. She taught us all these good qualities, but she was not a Christian. At at aged about 65, my mother was baptized at Mexico, Missouri. And we were thrilled to death. My mother went home to New Hampshire. And she had some lifelong friends. And I remember one in particular. Her name was Merle. And it came back to me that she had made the comment, Gladys! My mother has sure changed since she changed churches. Well, that made an impression with me. I mean, I knew I knew that was true anyway. But it was reflected in my mother's conduct and her attitudes and her determination to do things to please God that she didn't really know before she was 65 years old. I've got her Bible and she's underlined things and I've cherished that because it was in the last years that she underlined those things. And She went to ladies' Bible class and she was at church all the time. Mom said to me and to my brother and sister, uh, and very... Matter of factly, well, I did the best that I could. And she did. She did the best that she could with what she had and what she knew. But when she finally got her eyes opened and got into the Bible, it even made her better. <laughs> so she passed away to her reward, and I have confidence that I'll see her again in a better place. Genesis chapter 18, where the angels uh, are talking about Abraham. I know Abraham. He will command his children. He exerted the type of influence over his children. And what do you know? We have Isaac following in his footsteps. And we have Jacob following in his footsteps. We have government in the church. I thought that's probably what I was supposed to talk about, but it isn't. So I won't belabor that either. Ephesians 4.11 says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
God organized the church under leadership. Jesus said to his apostles, especially the fishermen, when he called them from the Sea of Galilee, Come and follow me. I will make you to become fishers of men. They were not fishers of men when he met them. Well, I will make you to become fishers of men. And today we revere them very highly. God has placed some in the church. First, apostles. And we still walk in their doctrine and we still appeal to them in matters of judgment. And when we seek to know the will of the Lord, we do not deviate from what the apostles have given us. Peter, you know, was saying before he died, he said, it's the Lord told me. <laughs> it had been revealed to me that I'm soon to put off my tabernacle of clay. But I'm determined that you will have information after I'm gone. He wrote first and second Peter. I don't know. It's a it's an amazing thing. It's not amazing either, I guess. Satan is very busy. How many people do not recognize the apostle Peter? or the Apostle Paul, or any of the other apostles particularly, any of the writing, writings that we have in the New Testament is being actually binding upon us and that this is the source of our spiritual information. Some people make such blatant... St- I don't care what the Apostle Paul said on that point. <laughs> you know, Or I disagree with him here. Or I disagree with him there. Okay, in our employment, do you work for a company? Do you have a CEO? Or some reasonable facsimile? You have a a manager? You have a boss? Maybe a straw boss? (laughs) A department head? Throughout business, we have leaders. Men who are responsible to instruct us, to correct us, to set the tone. What is your mission statement? They're going to implement that and you're going to help them in your particular sphere of activity. Leaders everywhere we look. In education, we go to higher education, we have a dean. (laughs) Oh, Isn't it sad that the reverence that we had for teachers has been undermined by the conduct of our teachers? My wife worked at the school as an aide for uh, disadvantaged children, injured children. She worked about 10 years or something at the school system on a one-on-one with a student that needed special care. And she enjoyed her work. But she would come home and tell about some of the things the teachers did after hours. The things that they were inviting her to come and participate in that were very detrimental to the moral climate of society. We used to revere our teachers. We held them up as role models. I fell in love with my first grade teacher. Her name was Ruth Lund. I fell in love. I couldn't help it. She was so wonderful. But I was sad because she wouldn't wait for me. <laughs> Genesis eight twenty one. Genesis. I'm sorry, I've got some store-bought teeth and I have trouble. It'd be worse if I took them out. The thoughts of men's heart is only evil continually. Now, we can't relate the story of the Bible, but you know that's 1,600 years after Adam was created. 
the changes that transpired. We had a wonderful lesson. One of the speakers at uh, Rock Hill gave a gave a, a nice lesson where he's talking about Enoch, the seventh from Adam. I, I thought that was very impressive. The one who walked with God. Noah and Enoch were both men who walked with God. God was available. He was known. But after ten generations, things got so bad that it grieved God at His heart that He had made man. He said, I will destroy man. He sent the flood upon the wicked world. Because the thoughts of men's hearts was evil continually. Now that's the way our society is today. And it's not peculiar to our society. It's always been that way. Ecclesiastes 7.29 This only have I found that the Lord God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes or many inventions. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And when God looked at everything He made, it was very good. From then on, it was downhill. When Satan tempted Eve and then her husband and sin entered the world, how long was it till the first murder? Not very long. And things degenerated. They didn't get better. You know, a lot of people think that that Christ coming into the world was going to make the world better. And the gospel, when it went into the world, was going to make the world better. I remember an elder telling me when we moved to Unionville, Missouri, our community is getting better since you moved here. Oh, really? <laughs> I guess he's trying to flatter me or something. Anyway. The influence of the gospel is Potentially, to make the world better, but really not so. It's, it's to save man from himself and from his eventual destruction because that's the direction that man has taken from the very beginning. God made you upright. I love to look at the little babies. Here's a soul. Precious little thing. Somebody's talking about how cute they are and all that. Here's a soul destined to live forever. But will it be with God or will it be away from God forever? Well, that's every one of us. We started as a baby and we grew up and we became accountable and we chose the wrong path. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The gospel is God's power to salvation. And every one of us need the gospel. And we need to obey it. And we need to live by it. The one who is a leader goes first. (laughs) He is a guide to others. He is a director. He is an instructor. Or she, a conductor, and one that sometimes has position of ruling, ruling over. Why is it so? Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, I think probably most of us know this verse. It is not that man in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now, I'll take that home to the bank. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. That's a very important statement. Left to yourself, you will fail. You will not be directed in the direction that you ought to go. You know, the Hollywood's made a, a lot of influence on people by making movies and and uh, saying things that have caught on like, you know, follow your heart. You ever fall in love? I couldn't help myself. I just fell in love. Hollywood's love. 
Jiminy Cricket sang a little song. I can't sing it. I can't remember. But anyway, it's about you. Let your conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. Well, a conscience we've already heard this morning is a good thing. And it is a check, a restraint. If it's educated and it's exercised. But many people violate their conscience until they don't feel it anymore. That's what a hardened criminal is. David writes in the psalm, chapter 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We've had a lot of statements and we'll have a lot of statements about how important the Bible is. And also, be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only. It's not enough to know it, but to do it. To practice it. Like Ezra the scribe, who took it into his heart to know the law. And I like this, to do the law and to teach it to others. Ezra is a great leader in Israel. Second only to Moses in the eyes of a lot of Jewish scholars. And it's because of the attitude and the direction that he took. He was in exile. He's going to come back as a scribe and he's going to be an asset to the nation in reestablishing itself. And it states about Ezra in 710 that he made this decision. He committed himself to know the law and to do the law, to practice it, and to teach it to others. And that's what a good leader is going to do. If you're a leader, you're going to be committed to the truth that you know, and you're going to practice it. You're going to look at yourself as well as looking at others to give them instruction. Don't try to pull that mote out of your brother's eye and not consider the beam that's in you. You've got to start at home. A good leader takes it serious for himself. And then he can teach others. And also, he sets the example. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I wonder why everybody doesn't understand this. The 119th Psalm was mentioned this morning, you know. 119.105, we all know that one. By words, a lamp under my feet, a light on my pathway. I like the verse before it, 104. Through thy precepts do I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The Bible discerns what is right and what is wrong. And it's like somebody was saying today about committing the Bible internally into your heart memorizing, getting to know it, so that you'll see the counterfeit. And you can then make good decisions. Jeremiah 3.15 predicted, and this is in the church government area, I will give them shepherds that will feed them with knowledge and understanding. God is looking forward through the telescope of time, to the coming of the Lord, the establishing of the church, when God would give us shepherds that would feed us with knowledge and with understanding. Ezra read the law, and he gave the sense, and he helped them to understand. And that's what leaders do in the church. That's what we do in the home. And we have... We have an awful lot of overlap in these lessons. The greatest example of leadership is the Godhead. I I, uh, I found so many scriptures, and I've I had pages of stuff and have scrapped them. I don't have time for that. I won't have time for that. Jeremiah chapter seven. I, I think this is beautiful. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, and if you think about that span of time, from the Exodus until Jeremiah the prophet, right up to the destruction of the first commonwealth, we have God saying through Jeremiah, Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants the prophets, 
daily, rising up early and sending them. You know, if God says something once, it's to be taken and it's important. What if He says it twice? Jeremiah 7.13 Jeremiah 7.25 Jeremiah 25.4 Jeremiah 26.5 Jeremiah 29.19 Jeremiah 35.15 Over and over. Rising early! Jesus taught a parable about, about this in the book of Matthew. Here another parable. There was a certain land owner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around about it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. We can get that picture. We've seen it. We've read this. And when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the wine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Beat one, killed one, stoned one. And then Jesus said again, He sent other servants, more than the first. And they did likewise to them. That's a picture of God visiting Israel over and over and over and over again. God is the consummate leader. He loves man. He loved them so much that He kept after them. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Some they beat, some they stone, some they kill. Finally, he said, I'll send my son. We know the story. That's his son, Jesus, that we've been hearing about from John this morning. The Son of God, the Anointed. Why did he come? To rescue us. To bring us back to the Father. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father. Boy, he's been with him all this time and he's seen all the miracles and he's heard the teachings and he's being groomed. But he verbalizes, I think, something that was in the hearts of all of them, perhaps. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Philip, have I been so long a time with you and you have not known me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. No man has seen God at any time. I've never even seen Jesus. But I know a lot more about Jesus than I know about God because I've got so much information in here. Yes. God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 We beheld His glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth as we have in 1 John 1.14. Jack likes that verse. I've got a friend here named Jack Pollard from over around our neighborhood. Anyway, I had to put a plug in there for you, Jack. He like me, he's getting old and we we repeat ourselves a lot. But he loves the Lord. He's a good Bible student. I met him at Sedalia. He was conducting a Bible study on a Friday night with some close friends and Barb and I got interested and we started going every Friday night and it was wonderful. It took them three years to go through Romans. Jack's a thorough teacher. <laughs> but we really we really got a lot of good out of that. God is the consummate leader. In Hebrews chapter one and verse one, guess what that says? God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. God sent His Son. He came to redeem us. 
He was born under the law. He was made to redeem us from the law. He died for us. All the information you have in your Bible, in your New Testament, and you really need to know it. You need to read it. Habitually read it. Commit it to your heart. Jesus is a good shepherd. John chapter 10. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd give his life, gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known by my own. John chapter 10, verse 4, when he brings out his own, he goes before them. And his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A good leader leads by example. He goes before. Don't do what I say. Do as I do. And a good leader will attempt to show the point that he's trying to get across and encourage the brothers and sisters to follow that example. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. The pattern is set by the leaders. And do we need leaders? Well, it's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. John warns us, 1 John 4 and 1, Brethren, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. For many false prophets are gone out into the world. It's religion. And maybe it talks about Jesus. But it might be false. And so many times it is. They worship a different Jesus than you know that the Bible describes. My friend George at the veterans' home, I can't help but talk something about George everywhere I go. He's committed 300 plus Bible scriptures to memory. And he talks about them every all day long. He's taken a, at least a dozen Bibles and underlined all those scriptures. And he shares them with people, gives away Bibles when he can. His family deserted him, doesn't want anything to do with him because all he wants to talk about is the Bible. Going on a little journey with his daughter. He starts to say something. She says, Dad, Dad. Now, we don't want to hear those Scriptures. Let's talk about something else. And he shuts up. He's just the way he is. He's not... He's very sad. His wife will not talk to him about it. His children will not talk to him about it. But that's all he wants to talk about. He could get on your nerves. <laughs> But we know where he's coming from and what it's all about. I had another reference in Matthew and I can't remember what it was about, so I guess I'll have to forget it. The question that was asked in the letter was, are leaders uh, developed or are they born? Well, you could look at certain scriptures and uh, come up with a different answer on this, but I'm confident that leaders are developed. I'll give you an example. Forty years ago, I know of a congregation that met on Sunday morning. They had the Lord's Supper. They had, of course, singing and prayer and maybe a scripture reading. They had the Lord's Supper and they had a Bible study, an open Bible study discussion, and that was their service. They didn't have preaching. Or exhortation. There was nobody got up and gave an exhortation talk. I think they were scriptural, but there was one ingredient they could have had. Well, they didn't have it because all they had was one teacher. <laughs> and he was an old man already. And uh, But there were three young 
married couples in the congregation. Just happened, and this is way up in the boonies, little country congregation. And uh, one day one of the sisters said to one of the young men, you think you could uh, make a little talk? (laughs) Make a talk. Who, me? If you had known this kid, you'd have said, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I might try, you know. So the brother got up and he gave a little talk. I don't know, five, ten minutes. I don't know what it was. He just read a number of scriptures about the same subject. He picked a good one. He picked heaven. And he read a few scriptures on the subject of heaven. I don't know what comments he might have made. I like C.R. Turner's little... I may run over time. C.R. Turner made the little story about the guy that traveled with a preacher and he was the song leader and the, and the preacher said to him, now, when we're at the meeting tonight, why don't you read Scripture? Read a verse of Scripture, or you know, a short chapter or something like that. So he got the lead songs and he got to read Scripture. Then one day the preacher said to him, now, if you want to make a little comment about what you're reading to add a little more to it, give a little sense to it, well, you can do that. So the very next night he gets up before the congregation and he opens the Bible. He says, I'm going to read Romans chapter 3. And he looks down and he reads, What advantage then hath the Jew and what profit is there in circumcision? And he looked up and he said, None at all. He looked down and read, much every way. (laughs) Anyway. It wasn't long before those three young men were making little talks. Because this sister, and I don't know if anybody else was confederate in it, encouraged them. Well, this kid didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. He was a new Christian, but he he made his little reference. He made his little talk, and then he got the encouragement from this sister. And oh, wow! It was all right, really. You know. Well, as time went on, they got a little better at it. You know. And from that beginning. All three of those young men have served the church as elders. All three of them. One of them served right here. (laughs) Now you figure that one out. (laughs) Remember the parable of the sower? Seed fell upon good ground. The good and honest heart received that good seed and brought forth fruit some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I don't know what ability you have, but you'll never know if you don't exercise it. If you don't get in there and study and take the opportunities that are presented to you, it's a thrilling thing to be able to share with your brethren and be a part of the activity of a congregation. If you just get up and read Scripture, you have done something for the Lord. And you should have a great sense of satisfaction to participate in the functioning of the body. If you can sing a song, I've even known people that couldn't lead, couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. I know one that still can't, but he still leads songs. You know why he? You know somebody might ask, why in the world would they let this guy up in front? He can't even carry a tune. I kid you not. He starts them all at the same place and ends them at the same place. But you know why they let him? Now they don't do that on Sunday morning, especially if we try to accommodate those who might be interested in visiting among us. We try to put our best foot forward, although we're not looking for professionalism. We're looking for sincerity and truth. This man is such an asset to this congregation because his heart is right with God. 
He is an outgoing individual. He's such a blessing to our congregation that on Sunday night or Wednesday night, and often on Wednesday night, we give him a turn at leading the songs. And I don't care what you ask that man to do, he'll do it. He's even got up and, you know, made a few short talks, you know. He's really good with an object like he come in with a cardboard box. I don't know what this is about, but you're going to find out. <laughs> He's going to give an object lesson like Aesop's fables, you know. There's going to be a value in what he has to say. It'll be very short. But and we love this man because of his love. And he is so dependable. But he really can't carry it too. Okay. In the parable of the talents, there was given responsibility to each of them according to their several ability. One had five, one had two, one had one. God knows what you're able to do. He doesn't ask you to do something that you can't do. There is a difference in our abilities. We cannot all be elders. We can all all be preachers. I have actually preached the gospel. When I was 21 years old, if you had suggested that, I'd have thought you were bombing. First of all, I didn't know enough. But I was very timid and reserved. But I began by reading Scripture, passing the communion, officiating at the table after a while, having something. What am I going to say at the Lord's table? Well, that same sister said, well, read Isaiah 53. (laughs) Or read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23-26. Read the 22nd Psalm. Maybe make a comment. You know, well, that's how you get started. And it always felt good to offer something, to participate, and to be an encouragement. And I was also encouraged. One day, Tom Dennis said, somebody came to him and said, this young man made a comment. Boy, he wished he could do what you were doing. He he just, I, I, I didn't idolize Tom Dennis, but I sincerely respected Tom Dennis. Even though the first time I met him, he walked into Kirksville's meeting house and he came down the aisle, you know, probably singing like he normally does. He's big and tall and he's ramrod straight like an Indian should be. And my initial reaction to Tom Dennis was, who does he think he is? I didn't think I was anybody, but who does he think he is? I soon found out. And I, I thank God for this man. He's probably the first real evangelist I ever met. And I thank God for him. He's had a very fruitful service to God, and a great reward awaits him, I, I trust. And he, he deserves, well, we don't want to set him up too high on a pedestal, but we, he deserves our respect. He's done a good work. And I can't hardly believe Tom Woody is not here. You know, it's just... I'm glad he's where he is, but I'm sad that he's not here. It's it's bittersweet, you know. Well, one of these days I won't be here either, but that's all right. Because I'm looking for something better. That's what Jack's always saying. How you doing today? She's not bad, looking for something better. <laughs> We already had the illustration of the fruit, right? Okay? Every branch in him that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. He expects you to develop. And if you do good, maybe you could do a little better. And the opportunity in the, in the household of faith is, is amazing. It's open, you know. Uh, Members of our congregation, we don't have very many, but uh, 
This pulpit doesn't belong to anybody. It's open. And everyone who will may share in the edification of the body. It, you know, Ephesians chapter 4, the body functions by that which every joint supplies. Everybody doing its part and its share gives the overall increase and the strengthening of the saints and making a definite impression on those who visit. My first experience in visiting the church at Kirksville, I'll never forget. Brother, they're all dead. They're all dead now. <laughs> but brother got up to lead the songs. He's gone, and he sang a couple of songs that I still, every time I hear them, I think of him. Another brother got up and read the scripture. Another brother got up, several waited on the table. Another brother got up to speak. This Sunday, but next Sunday, it was a different brother. And that was all all new to me. There wasn't anybody with a big black robe and you had to shake his hand at the back door and tell him how good his sermon was. We were just all brothers sharing what we had learned and expounding on certain passages of Scripture or certain principles to enlighten and encourage each to do it. Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. He's also the one who said, as newborn babes desire the sincere word of the Lord, that you may grow thereby. We begin as babes. We, are, we grow. We are encouraged to grow. And the, and the writer of the book of Hebrews said, "One for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again, which be the first principle of the oracles of God. And have become such as have need of milk and not of meat. For milk, meat is for them who are, have attained age and experience. Have you grown? Have you grown? It's an imperative. Titus or Timothy, First Timothy, Second Timothy, two two, the things thou hast learned of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, handing it on, passing it on, sharing with others, so the end that be that they could pass it on. What's going to happen to the church now? We're all concerned about the future. I know we, we couldn't be very human and aware of what's going on around us if we weren't concerned about the future of the church. Paul said to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, and my persecutions, my afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra, stoned at Lystra. Timothy was listening to his mentor. He was soon to lose his mentor. And Second Timothy was written, Encouraging Timothy, please hurry and come to Rome. I want to see you again before I go. For the time of my departure is at hand. My time is up and I haven't scratched the surface. We have great example, the greatest example in God, in the Godhead, Father and Son, of a good leader. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. We are concerned about what's going to happen in the church. Where are our new evangelists coming from? You know where they're going to come from? Same place the existing ones came from. From within the church, among men who see a need and are willing to respond to it. God said, Who in the world can we send? And Isaiah answered, oh, Here am I. Send me. I don't know who converted Timothy. He's called his son in the faith, so perhaps Paul was the one who converted Timothy. But we know when he came back through 
to Lystra and Iconium, he found this young man who was already gaining a reputation among the church, the churches, as an encourager. And Paul decided he wanted to take that young man with him and further develop him. And when he gets to the end of the road, or he like, well, not the end of the road totally, but he gets to the Rome the first time and he writes the letter to the Philippians and he says concerning Timothy, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your estate. For all seek their own and not the things that be the Lord. Timothy had a natural attitude to please God. And he had a love for the brethren and a desire to see the church prosper. Is that your attitude? You're going to have another man teaching this week. He's going to stand up here. He came to my home 40 years ago. And I don't know all about... I mean, I had a lot of association with him over the years and I can't remember the conversation at all. But I remember this, that he told me 40 years ago that what his intention was was to grow up and be an elder in the church. He wasn't even married. He was a college boy. He went to Kirksville State University. But that was his goal for his life. Guess what? He grew up. He married a girl. A Christian girl. He had a Christian home. He was appointed the eldership and he's there yet. And he's done a good job. As far as we can tell. I still admire him. I still respect him. I still remember that this was a goal for his life when he was in college. I want to grow up. I want to be an elder. He had a grandfather. He had a grandmother and a mother, much like Lois and Eunice, that instilled within him a great love for the Bible, for the church, what it stood for, and... Thank you for listening to me. I could talk on for a couple of hours.